Welcome to Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner, brought to you by the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Murray, coming to you from Miami. On each episode, we'll bring you inspiring conversations about your sight and the special role the retina plays in making healthy vision possible. We'll hear from expert retina specialists, as well as directly from patients about living life to the fullest with retinal disease. Join us and learn how to safeguard your retina health for life. Welcome to the American Society of Retina Specialists, Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner. I'm Dr. Timothy Murray coming to you from Miami, Florida. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the advanced imaging technologies that enhance our ability to diagnose, manage, and treat age-related macular degeneration and other retinal conditions. To discuss this exciting topic, I'm happy to welcome my friend and fellow retina specialist and a leading researcher in retinal imaging, Dr. Justice Ellers of the Cole Eye Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Ellers. Oh, Tim, thank you so much for, for the opportunity to be here. It's, it's really a pleasure. So Justice, you've been involved in many of the advances that have taken place. And I think for you and I, advanced imaging technologies now have, have really defined the level of care that we provide to our patients. At the same time, I feel that they're much less invasive. They're faster technologies for us to acquire, and they allow us better detail in evaluating our patients and evaluating their retinal disease. So Dr. Ellers, for our audience, could you take us through some of the advanced imaging technologies that you think are pivotal in your clinical and ophthalmic surgical care? Sure, I, I'd be happy to, and, and, and you're 100% right. It's amazing if you look, in particular over the last decade, at how things have changed for us as retina specialists. I remember when I was training, and it was potentially unusual if you needed to get imaging on a patient. You know, there were very select conditions where we felt some of these technologies were helpful. Uh, and it, the field has really exploded in the last decade. And a lot of that has to do with the impact we can have on patient care and how we're able to potentially better manage, you know, our patients with these diseases. So for me, you know, the technology really starts with something called OCT. Um, and that stands for Optical Coherence Tomography. And the way I sort of uh, use this as an analogy is that it's ultra uh, high resolution ultrasound, but instead of using sound, it uses light. Uh, and, and what's amazing with this technology is that literally it's like looking at a microscope uh, in a histology slide to be able to see details of the eye. And for us, it's really about seeing the details of, of the retina. You know, we can see things really at a micron level. Uh, which is, is truly incredible. Uh, and it adds another layer of understanding and, and knowledge as we're seeing a patient in front of us, not only for our physical exam and our, our slit lamp exams, but to be able to have that imaging information really makes an impact on, on how we treat and how we manage uh, patients. The amazing thing, and you alluded to this, it's, it's non-invasive. It takes only seconds uh, to obtain uh, and uh, there's no pain associated with it. Even though it uses light, the light is, is uh, often barely detectable by patients. And uh, so it just has a huge impact on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, we see a large number of patients in clinic, and I would say that 90 to 95% of my patients end up getting an OCT for their various retinal condition because of the impact it has on us as clinicians. 
So Justice, I think that's true. For, for me, actually, I would tell you it's 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I actually image with OCT, um, advanced either spectral domain or swept source, every patient that comes to the clinic because it is so pivotal in the decision-making. And we do use it to allow the patients kind of to look with us at the yeah. detail that we have in the retina. So Justice, you, you've been involved. We've seen several generations of OCT technology. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about how that's kind of changed, what's different, and, and why that's important for our patients? So the, the first technology was something called time domain. And, and that was what came out a little bit before I started in, in training, but it was still the, the workhorse that we used uh, when, you know, in you know, probably around 10 to 12 years ago. And it was, it was great because it gave us structural information, but we weren't able to resolve all of the layers of the retina. We weren't able to see the, the level of detail that we can here. And importantly, it was much slower. So essentially, we could look at six different slices uh, that were uh, taken in, in different uh, sequences. Now, uh, with the newer technologies, uh, spectral domain having been around for about a decade, you know, we're able to take hundreds of slices in a fraction of the time. With, with swept source, which you alluded to, it's even faster. And so what that allows us to do is, is be able to have an incredible density of information of what's happening. And you know, I couldn't agree with you, you more, Tim. For, for me, for patients who have macular disease, uh, you know, diabetes, macular degeneration, it is 100%. You know, I think this imaging is critical. We often see things that we don't otherwise recognize. And in patients even with good vision, we may identify things that may impact what their prognosis is because we can follow them closer or potentially change you know, a treatment plan you know, based on this information. Uh, so I, I do think it's critical. The other thing, though, that's opened up doors is now with these higher speed technologies, there's an, a branch off of OCT called OCT angiography. And historically, angiography played a major role in, in retinal care uh, through something called fluorescein angiography, where we would inject dye and take a series of pictures. And it still has an important role, at least in my care, for retinovascular disease and diabetes. For macular degeneration, it's much, much less common because now we have a non-invasive test that gives us almost better resolution that actually is encoded to the depth of where it's located within the retina. And so we can see things such as neovascularization or new growth of blood vessels that could truly change, does this patient have wet macular degeneration or do they have dry? And sometimes that's not apparent clinically when we look in the eye, but with this imaging, it it really elevates our our understanding and our ability uh, to not only treat patients, but as as you mentioned, I think it's an incredible educational tool as as well. So the OCT angiography, I I agree with you, I think is phenomenal. Um, It's just starting to roll out and, and we need to have some enhancements in the interpretation there's some discussion, as you know, about whether artificial intelligence will play a role in looking at the, at the OCT angiography. But it's interesting because many of our colleagues were treating patients with what looked like an intermediate type of macular degeneration that wasn't really dry, but we really couldn't see classic wet or neovascular AMD. And we're really able now to image that intermediate type early. Are you using that to drive patient care for you in the clinic? Or or are you waiting to have a better understanding of what that will mean with your patients? 
So I, I do use it to drive patient care in terms of adding more knowledge. Uh, and I think also the education. Um, when you speak of, you know, for example, this condition that's sort of wet, but it's not yet actually wet, uh, meaning that there's abnormal blood vessels that have formed, but they're not causing swelling and they're not causing bleeding. And we can identify those blood vessels with some of our imaging. And those were eyes that we weren't, we didn't know really existed, you know, in a way until we had this technology. But for me, I'm not directly treating those patients uh, with our, our current therapeutics. Uh, what I am doing is instead of seeing them in six months, I'm going to see them in three months. And, and again, just driving home the symptoms to watch for in case that converts to a more, more active lesion. And I think it makes a difference. Um, you know, one of the things, and, and I think this is relevant to, to the pandemic and, and what we've dealt with is imaging is so critical. And many of these patients have to come in and see us every month, every six weeks. I've actually started to set up essentially a, an imaging diagnostic visit where they strictly come in for a vision check and an OCT. And, and that actually allows me to have them come in potentially more frequently. And as long as they're not having any new symptoms, they can be in and out without even having their eyes dilated, get that imaging done, and maybe come back and see me every other visit you know, for, for that exam. And so this really provides flexibility for us as well. And those are things as the technology improves, we're gonna see things even like home-based OCT uh, that's gonna potentially play a role for us as, as well. You know, I think from a patient's perspective, they, they really do have an understanding that the earlier we treat an active disease process, the better the outcome will be. And I think that all of these technologies that are driving us to, to recognize in a very precise way, each patient's individual disease yeah. has let us treat earlier and has let us treat better. And I think in your hands and, and in, in ours, our patients have done better both anatomically, but really for the patient visually. Um, and are you seeing that kind of move forward through this pandemic as you've been able to image patients without necessarily having to see them uh, in person? Absolutely. And, and I also, I mean, we had the debate as, as a group, you know, should we examine patients? Should we image patients? Should we do both? And it's an interesting question, you know, to pose, especially in the midst of the pandemic where Safety is paramount for our patients, you know, for our, our technicians, for, for, for everyone involved. Um, and, I, and I do think, you know, that these technologies really play a major role in, in, in that part. You know, you mentioned detecting things early. It's not uncommon that I might have a patient who has dry macular degeneration who's minimally symptomatic who says, do I really need to come back and see you in six months? But there's no doubt that we could pick up that conversion to wet macular degeneration before they even realize it. And that has, can have a profound effect of identifying somebody who's 2020 uh, with early exudation that we might switch over to new therapy or, or follow them even closer. Um, so I, I think it does have a, a big role. And, and I definitely have seen this you know, with being able to use even just the imaging, not only to have the reassurance instead of pushing someone out you know, for three or four months because they didn't want to come in to be able to tell them, just come in for 20 minutes. We'll check your vision. We'll get this picture. I certainly feel reassured, and I know they do as well. I mean, it's funny. Patients really understand the importance of this technology. All it takes is them seeing one picture. Uh, and I remember when I started one of our satellites, we weren't sure how busy it was going to be, and it quickly got busier and busier. And, and in the first year, the number one question that my patients would ask is, when are you getting another OCT machine? Uh, because the line you know, for that was what was driving a lot of the weight. And, and patients really understand that when they see the impact 
that it has. They'll be asking, how does my fluid look today? You know, what does the, what does the thickness map look like? You know, and it's, it's really an amazing tool, I think, for building a partnership uh, as well uh, with, with patients in that regard. I think that's very true. And, and, you know, I'm a little bit older than you are. So when, when I started our clinical practice, of course, OCT, let alone OCT angiography didn't exist. And the bread and butter for us was fundus photography, where we were able to take pictures of, of the back of our patient's eyes. Can you talk a little bit about what has happened with some of the fundus imaging that has been a major advance that's driving some changes with patient care for you, maybe sure. in both the AMD patients, but also in our diabetic patients or patients with vascular disease? Yeah, you know, so for, for me, one of the most exciting areas in, in fundus photography and also a, a branch of that, which would be angiography related diagnostics, is the ability to see more. And OCT allowed us to see structure. You know, historically, our cameras were limited to about 30 or, or maximum 50 degrees, which essentially gave us a view of the main central part of the retina. But so many diseases involve the outside portions of the retina uh, and, and key problems can, can develop there related particularly to diabetes and, and other retinovascular diseases. And so we now have camera technologies that are allowing us to go almost from edge to edge uh, to visualize the retina with a single image. And even more impressive is that many of those cameras don't even require dilation. And so we're able to get this fantastic image and I think it has major implications not only for us in terms of our practices and the way we can communicate with our patients and, and with other, other physicians. I still actually use fundus photography a lot, particularly at baseline, so that we have sort of that foundation uh, and patients know kind of where we're, we're setting the, the, the bar at for, for progression over time. But I also think it has a tremendous opportunity in screening. You know, when we look at this, we see technologies that are coming along that, that are easier for, for our technicians to use and give much more information in terms of what potential diseases are, are ongoing. You know, I think one of the things that's important is we always talk about sort of um, value-based care. Yeah. Many of my patients are like, why doesn't everybody have this camera? Why doesn't everybody have an OCT? So could you give us some idea for the patients what some of that technology may actually cost so that they understand sure. why their optometrist or even their local ophthalmologist may not have access to this and why a retina specialist um, provides a level of care that can be different? Absolutely. And I mean, it is a major capital investment for any practice, you know, in, in looking at this. And especially when you look at multiple offices, how do you outfit, um, you know, the practice such that we can provide optimal care? You know, when you look at an OCT system, especially the state-of-the-art systems, you know, they, they run at a minimum of $50,000, but many of them are up closer to $100,000 uh, as you get more and more technology to have the fastest engines that allow, for example, for the OCT and geography. And then there's the upkeep, you know, what's required, you know, these are really, you know, delicate systems uh, that require, you know, technicians and, and that cost is, is significant as well. When you look at the, the wide field cameras, particularly the ones that, that we use for being able to do dye-based uh, studies, they can run over $100,000, you know, for, for a system. And, and one of the challenges is in the midst of the finances, a lot of the reimbursements to help you know, support that are, are going down. Um, and so it, it, it's one of the things that I think that certainly practices have to make those business decisions 
And, and there, there isn't really that piece of it for us as retina specialists in the sense that we have to have these. We know we need to have them to provide the, the you know, top line care you know, for, for our patients in, in terms of the diseases that they're, that they're dealing with. So I, Dr. Ellers, I think that's absolutely correct because I see that every day. Um, in clinic today, I had five patients that couldn't understand why I did imaging studies that they had never had before yeah. that showed significant disease. And I, and I tried to have that discussion of the reason you see a retina specialist is because we at a baseline provide this kind of technology to our patients to allow us to take the best care of our patients. And I tell them that really allows us to personalize their care because yeah. you and I know we can look at a, at a patient's eye grossly and see one thing and we can image it at a microscopic level and realize that every one of our patients is uniquely different. Yeah. And, you know, even to take that a little bit, bit further with, with your perspective on how we use it, you know, one of the things that I find is even in, in practices that have access, for example, to OCT, which is relatively common, not necessarily the highest in systems that provide, you know, some of the more key diagnostics that we use, is that they're not utilized in the same way. You know, it, what, the best example for me is dry macular degeneration. Um, it's really common that I'll have a, a new referral who has pretty significant disease who's never had an OCT before. And when they see the amount of change to their retina, it, it's sort of stunning you know, to patients and, and I think incredibly informative. So it's very common that I find that, that other practitioners who this may not be their area of specific expertise, they're managing it based on what was the way it was managed you know, 15, 20 years ago. And now I think there really is a new standard in what we expect for being able to understand that personalized care of, as you said, every patient's different. Dry AMD is not just dry AMD. It, it, it's really important to understand that for each individual in, in front of you. Well, I think you've made two really critical points for our patients. One is that treatment at a retina specialty care center is, is, is a decade beyond what often you get in places where they don't have access to state-of-the-art imaging or state-of-the-art care. And the second thing is that much of what we do, though the imaging acquisition is important to us, it's the interpretation yeah. that really defines the care. So yeah. even if everybody could have an OCT in their office, not everybody has the skill sets that, that you and I take for granted to be able to, to interpret the images that they've gotten. Right. And, and it's, it's interesting, you know, as, as we get one of the exciting areas is, is the use of artificial intelligence, you know, potentially for, for future help in interpretation. And one of the, one of the challenges is really going to come into, I think, first being, is it normal or is it abnormal? Because going beyond abnormal takes years of experience and context to be able to really hone in on what's the true diagnosis. What are the subtle findings there, for example, in a photoreceptor layer that might have been missed of why a patient had dropped from 2020 to 2040, even though the picture looked relatively similar. Um, and I think that we may see this more and more, you know, to help, you know, some of our, our comprehensive colleagues, you know, who may not use the technology quite as, as frequently to be able to guide you know, some of this towards uh, specific referrals and where that may, may actually be, be needed. You know, we've seen some work done out of the UK and in other areas, you know, to, to help uh, essentially sort of pipeline, you know, those, those patients, you know, to the right place, you know, at, at hopefully the right time to be able to, to intervene with, with whatever conditions they're dealing with. 
And um, Justice, one of your other areas where you have really been groundbreaking is the transition of some of these technologies into the operating room, integrated into our operating surgical microscopes. Can you give us a brief kind of layman's perspective of, of what that means and how it plays out and where that may play a role in our futures? Sure, I, I'd be happy to. So in very much the same way that it's impacted us in the way that we can interpret and understand uh, what's happening in, in our clinics, you know, the premise behind bringing it to the operating room, and, and you were one of the first to also take OCT into the operating room and transition it and be able to actually image somebody under anesthesia, is that when we're operating, we're operating on translucent or even transparent tissues that are just microns thick. And we use these technologies in clinic to really help us, we think, take the best care and understand any signs of progression. And the thought was, why wouldn't we be able to apply this to the operating room and be able to have immediate feedback as surgeons as to have we achieved our surgical objectives? And so we, we've done multiple studies over the years, and essentially it, the technology has come along an incredible uh, distance from where we started, which was you know, figuring out how in the world can you fit an OCT into a microscope. So now we have FDA-approved systems um, that have OCT technology built in, which means we can actually do the imaging either live while we're actually doing surgical maneuvers, or just briefly pause after we've achieved what we think are the key surgical objectives and confirm. You know, one good example for me is, is epiretinal membranes, which is kind of a scar tissue that grows on the retinal surface. It's one of the more common indications that we do retinal surgery. And it's often difficult to tell for sure whether or not you've removed the entire membrane without using some sort of color-based dye to help us see you know, whether or not you've cleared it all out. Well, rather than having to put more dye into the eye, we now can use OCT to quickly look and say, did we get it all? And, and what we've found in our studies is that in probably 10 to 15% of cases, it makes a significant difference in the surgical decision-making. And that could be less time uh, under anesthesia, it could be that you don't need a longer acting gas bubble. Uh, it might mean that you don't need laser. Um, and although 10 to 15% doesn't sound like a lot, when we think of making a true change in 10 or 15% of our surgeries, it adds up. And if you're that one patient you know, where it, it really is a more personalized and more high resolution approach, we think that there, there is some real, real opportunities. Perhaps most exciting, though, is as we see more therapeutics coming along and things that may require specific delivery to areas within the retina, under the retina, for example, for gene therapy, uh, within the retina, possibly. Some of our uh, uh, retina chips uh, that have been developed that provide you know, significant uh, improvements for patients with severe uh, vision limitations, OCT in the operating room can help really guide, are we where we want to be, and, and give us real-time feedback in that regard. I think that's, I, you know, I think we're right at sort of the infancy of this technology where we're starting to see what implications broadly it will have on surgical care of our patients. It's kind of in a, in a very exciting time and you've really been sort of one of the major leaders in the field. So that's, that's an exciting thing to have watched and, and to be a little bit of a part of. Thank you. When we started, the, the ability to look with detail was very limited. Now I feel that the precision of these imaging technologies and the personalization of the care for our patients, it, it has revolutionized how we take care of patients with advanced retinal disease. I, I totally agree. And, and the one thing I was just going to add is that 
I think that what's really exciting is we may just be scratching the surface on the personalized care aspect of it. You know, one of the areas that I think is really exciting is this idea, as you mentioned, of personalized care. What, how do you define the individual who's in front of you, their wet macular degeneration? Can we figure out which drug would be best for them? Can we understand how frequently they need treatment? And, you know, certainly some of the work that, that we've worked on suggests that there, there may be those details hidden in these images uh, and that's just, you know, completely unmined and untapped, you know, at this point. So I think it's, it's going to be really exciting to watch over the next several years how that changes, uh, how, how we're able to, to even better uh, treat, you know, the, the patients who, who we're able to see. Just this great discussion, amazing sort of um, ability to tell our patients and their families where this imaging technology is going, what it's used for now, how it guides our therapy. So I would like to thank you for joining us today, um, particularly during a difficult time with the pandemic, to have the opportunity to speak and reach out to our patients and their families. And this is Dr. Justice Ellers from the Coli Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Thank yeah. you, Justice. Oh, Tim, thank you so much and, and for your leadership and, and the opportunity to be here. It's, it's really, really great uh, to have the time to, to talk with you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Redna Health for Life from the President's Corner. You can watch and listen to more episodes on the ASRS YouTube channel and on popular podcast directories, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. For even more information about safeguarding your vision for a lifetime, visit asrs.org patients and follow ASRS on both Facebook and Twitter. Retina Health for Life is made possible in part through generous support from the Foundation of the American Society of Retina Specialists, Allergan, Genentech, Novartis, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. See you soon.